Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from Converge Church, now in progress. Yeah! Amen! Nothing is impossible to them that believe. Amen? Anybody else ready for the word this morning? All right, here we go. Before I do that, man, let's show our love one more time, y'all. One more time for Converge Worship, man. Woo-wee! Awesome, awesome job, Rick, Yessie, and the team. You guys did a fantastic job. We're going to dive into the Word uh, together. This is week three of our sermon series, uh, Miracles. Uh, we'd like to welcome all of you watching online, virtually, in your bed, in your pajamas, with your house shoes. Yes, you. We're here. But we welcome you and thank you so much for joining us this morning for Converge Live. All of you watching online, Converge at home, we welcome you as well. Actually, globally, uh, we're having people join us uh, from around the country and around the world. We're humbled, we're honored, and we thank you for tuning in this morning. Amen. Let's pray and we'll dive into the word together. Father, we come to you in the name that is above every other name. The mighty matchless name of Jesus, we yield ourselves completely, entirely, implicitly to you now. And we trust you, God, to instruct us, to inform us from your word. And this morning, Father, we yield ourselves to you and we say, have your way in us, that you might have your way through us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Turn, if you will, to our anchor text, which is lifted from Genesis chapter 1. If you're new to Converge or you're joining us for the first time, we're going to pick up this conversation almost mid-sentence. The good news is you can, you can follow along or you can catch up uh, weeks one and two uh, via our mobile app and also on demand on Facebook and YouTube. Just visit our Facebook page, search We Are Converge, and uh, you'll be able to download those messages online. I'm always tempted to do a review, uh, but this morning I won't. We'll just pick up where we left off last week. Uh, today we begin in on day four of the story of creation. And we've said there are three things that are important to understand as we navigate this series together. Number one, we said there are three things that we want to do during this series and you're going to say it after me. It just helps us to retain and remember this process because our God is a God of process. So here it is. Number one, we're going to understand the plan. Follow the pattern. Receive the promise. Say that again. Understand the plan. Follow the pattern. Receive the promise. And uh, the last couple of messages and today as well, we're discovering the pattern of God. In hermeneutics, which is this science and art of biblical interpretation, uh, there's this thing called the principle of first mention or the law of first things. Meaning, when something is mentioned for the first time in scripture, it always sets the precedent for the other times it appears in scripture. What we're seeing God do here, according to the principle of first mention or the law of first things, God is establishing a pattern of how he functions and how he operates. He's introducing us to his patterns and his principles. And as we start this series, or as we started this series a couple of weeks ago, I just felt the Lord prompt me to go back to the book of Genesis, the book of origins, because there are some things he wanted to establish uh, and them, some things he wanted us to understand as it relates to his pattern. So we're discovering, we're uncovering the pattern of God. Today we're in day four of the creation narrative, of the creation narrative. And on day four, God said in verse 14, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Notice, this is important. If you're taking notes, highlight it, circle it, underline it. This is going to be sort of the, the jump-off point. This is going to be central to everything I communicate this morning. On the fourth day, God establishes this pattern. Notice what he says. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for Years. I'll read that again. There are four things that happened on the fourth day in the pattern of creation. And God was establishing this original but eternal pattern for man. And on the fourth day, God established seasons and cycles. 
It is an inescapable reality of human life. The Bible declares in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, to what? Everything. Not some things. Not every now and then. To everything. That is an all-inclusive statement. To everything and to everyone, there is what? A season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And this morning, on day four, as we examine day four, what God wants us to see, what God wants us to understand, and what God wants us to recognize is that you are living out a season of life that is inescapable. Are you with me? Let's go a little bit further. Let's do some, a little bit of exegesis. Uh, because these four words uh, are very specific Hebrew words. Uh, the first word is sign. Let them be for a sign. Uh, a sign in the Hebrew, the, the word is oath, O-W-T-H, for all of our note takers. And we encourage you to be note takers as students of the word. It is a distinguishing mark or a banner or a warning, a distinguishing mark, a banner, or a warning. And what God was establishing was that in the beginning, he would use, he would use, he would use the stars, he would use the skies as warnings or as distinguishing marks. Notice, when God decided, when God decided that he would announce the advent of Jesus, how did he do it? There was a star in the sky. The star of Bethlehem. God confirms what he had spoken in Genesis 1. And this is one of the places where God is revealing something that he's doing prophetically and he uses stars. Uh, the second word is season. Season. Moed. M-O-W-E-D. And that word means appointed place. <laughs> this is where we're going to spend the lion's share of our time. Appointed place. Appointed time. A fixed or established time or season. Yeah, yeah. And then the word day is simply this, a 24-hour period, what we refer to as day and night, and then also years, a division of time, a measure of time, an indication of time. What God is establishing is two things. Number one, that there is such a thing as a chronos moment where we get the word chronology, which speaks to how we measure time, how we measure hours, how we measure days, how we measure weeks, and how we measure years. God says, listen, I'm going to establish time in the heavens, and it's going to impact how you live out your ordinary, everyday lives. What God is establishing, the pattern he's giving us, is to recognize the importance of chronos. To make the most of every moment that he gives us. Because time is a non-renewable resource. And it is where God levels the playing field because no matter who you are, we each get 24 hours every day. There is no person who gets 23 while the other gets 25. Everybody gets 24 hours, 365 days. And so God teaches us, even in fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 90, Teach me to number my days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Your time and what you do with your time and how you manage your time and how you steward your time matters. And that's the first pattern that God is establishing. But equally as important as chronos, how we measure time in days and hours and weeks and months and years, is something called kairos. Kairos speaks of an appointed time. It speaks of a divine appointment. And this morning, that's where I want us to spend our time. Notice, we said that nothing that God does is random or ever haphazard. He is always deliberate and he is intentional because when we look at the creation narrative, we see that God built everything sequentially. He did it in a very specific sequence. He did it in a very specific order. And on the fourth day, he's saying, I want you to be able to recognize seasons and cycles. Seasons and cycles. 
seasons, and cycles. Winter, spring, summer, then fall. In that order. Then winter, spring, summer, and fall. Because seasons are sequential. Notice what the wisest man who ever lived said. Notice what he said. To everything there is a season. It speaks of sequence or order. But then he says there is a time. It speaks of duration. May I say to you right now that whatever season you're in right now, it is not forever. I'll say it again. No matter where you find yourself right now, there is not only a season that is appointed, but there's also a time. It speaks of duration. To everything there is a season, but there's also a time which speaks of duration. And this morning I believe that God wants us to first of all recognize the season that you're in. It's a big deal. Because recognizing the season that you're in is going to determine your response. In 100 plus degree Texas heat, that's when you pull out your shorts and your tank top and your flip flops. Why? Because the season that you're in determines how you respond. The seasons are changing right now. We're in that precarious place somewhere between summer and fall. Well, you go outside in the morning and you want to put on a sweater. By 10 a.m., you're back in your T-shirt. But the seasons determine our response. And God established seasons at the beginning of time. So that we would understand the flow and the movement of God. So here it is. It's primarily four seasons that you and I will encounter. Primarily. But sometimes we can experience more than just these four. But I want to introduce these four so it will help you recognize the season that you're in. And it will determine the choices and the decisions and the next steps you need to take based on the season you're in. Now, can I say this? Go one step further. Your season ain't going to be my season. So you can't measure your life according to what's happening in everybody else's life which is the first problem that most of us encounter. We try to measure and compare what God is doing in the life of the person next to me when God says, listen, they're in a different season than you are, so their decisions and their choices and their actions are going to be different than what I am calling you to do in your season. And God says, recognize the season that I have you in right now. And what that requires is that you stay in your lane and develop tunnel vision. That's part of our problem. We're so distracted. We're so distracted by who's ahead of us. And we miss what God wants to do in us. And the Lord sent me here this morning with a very simple assignment to help his people recognize the season that they're in. Because if you don't recognize the season that you're in, you'll have a mink coat on in the middle of spring. I know it's humorous and it's laughable, but that's how many of us go through life. You're using what worked in the last season as if it should work in this season. And that, that, that coat that you wore in winter, yeah, it was for winter. It ain't going to work now. In fact, it's going to make you sweat. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be so miserable. Because that was last season's response. And God said in the beginning, I am going to set seasons and cycles in place, and it's going to be inescapable. And you have to recognize those seasons and adjust to those seasons and respond accordingly. Four seasons. Y'all ready for this? Number one, uh, first season is often referred to as the starting season, usually between zero to 20 years of age. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Some of y'all say, yeah, I'm way past that right now. Come on, somebody. Zero to 20 is often referred to as the starting 
season. And in the starting season, it's really providential, meaning you are experiencing things and you are the recipient of things over which you had no control, like the family into which you were born, the circumstances into which you were born. That initial season of your life, 0 to 20, is going to be your starting season. But here's why the starting season is critical. You've heard me say it once. You've heard me say it a thousand times. It's critical because four things happen. Four things happen in your starting season. Number one, your environment. Hmm? The environment into which you were born. Loving and caring or distant and disconnected. Those are things over which you had no control. The reason your environment is important is because your environment determines the second thing, which is your exposure. Your environment will dictate what you were exposed to. Good, bad, or indifferent. But what you were exposed to determines your experiences. I'm talking to somebody right now. Because your 0 to 20, even though it's what we call the starting season, these are your formative years. These are the years that can leave an indelible imprint upon your psyche, upon your soul, upon your emotions if the wrong people handle you. It will determine your experiences. And the fourth thing that happens in the starting season is your experiences will determine your expectations. Your expectations of God. Your expectations of people. Even your expectations of yourself. And that's why Zig Ziglar said it this way. Every child is born to win. But along the way, many are conditioned to lose. You know when that happens? You know when that conditioning happens? You know when that conditioning happened for you? In your starting season. And unfortunately, you and I had very little control over what happened. Because you were in an environment that in most cases you didn't choose for yourself. And many of us carry the pain and the baggage of our starting season forward. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's some people here who are in that season right now. You're between zero and 20. There are parents in this room, such as myself and Pastor Wendy, who are parenting a teenager and a soon-to-be 11-year-old who are in their starting season. And how we steward this moment in their lives can and will impact them for years to come. So I'm not only speaking to the ones in the 0 to 20 time uh, 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 age group. I'm also speaking to the parents who have been entrusted stewardship over their lives. Because the environment that you create for them right now will determine what they're exposed to. And their exposure will determine their experiences, and their experiences will determine their expectations. It's the starting season. And somebody say, okay, I passed that. What else you got for me, Pastor? I ain't 20 no more. Okay, I got something for you. Uh, second season, second season. It's what is often referred to as the searching season, the searching season. Usually from 20 to 40. Notice, two decades a 20-year span of searching. Uh, it's, it's when you complete your education. And then after completing your education, you start your career path. It's also the season where you're beginning to develop some competencies. Anybody remember that season? 20 to 40, some of you are still in that season. Where you've graduated college, you've started your career path, and you're developing some competencies. Come on, it's a good feeling to make your own money. This is that season. I want to talk about it, but man, I got to move. Did y'all notice that pastor stood, stepped up here at 1050? 
So let me inform you now that you will be missing the first quarter of that 12 o'clock Dallas Cowboys game. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. Just teasing. 20 to 40 is the searching season. You're discovering who you are, discovering what you're supposed to do with your life. In that 20 to 40 range, man, you're going to change jobs multiple times. There might be some who might even change careers during that searching season. And I'm going to venture to say there are some of you here right now who are in that place where you're searching. Maybe you've pursued the degree because it promised financial security, but you have absolutely no fulfillment. You're going through the motions. It pays you well. But something on the inside is empty and void. It's the searching season. And it's usually between the ages of 20 and 40. Ah, come on, somebody. The next season is the success season. Because psychologists believe that by the time you hit 40, you should have a whole lot of stuff figured out. And now you should start to rest in the decisions that you made between 20 and 40. This is the third season. Eesh. But can I submit to you that there is a whole lot of us still searching in our success season. Hmm? Still not sure. Still not clear. Still unfulfilled. The success season is characterized by having peace of mind. Yeah, that you can look back over your life and have peace of mind. That I made some good decisions. That I made some good choices. Uh, uh, it's that season of life when you're enjoying good health. When you have a happy home. Listen, when you have some financial margin. Y'all know what I mean by financial margin? When you move beyond living where you got more money, I'm sorry, more month at the end of your money. Anybody ever been there? Come on, somebody. That's the third season. We're between 40 and 50. You start to see yourself, okay, I got some financial margin because this thing's starting to wind down. I'm at the halfway mark of this thing. And by now, I should be much further ahead than I am right now. Are y'all with me? None of this is to be judgmental or critical. This is God saying, do you recognize the season that you're in, baby girl? Do you recognize the season that you're in? Because the season, recognizing the season will determine your response. Here's the fourth season. Come on, this is 50 plus. Because when you hit that 50, that 50, come on somebody. Listen, there's going to be a time when people look at dictionaries and they will say the F is silent. <laughs> right? We don't say 50. It's 50. And you'll, you'll look at the dictionary and it say the F disappeared somewhere between the 20th and the 21st centuries. <laughs> Come on, somebody. 50 plus. It's what is referred to by psychologists as the significance season. Because now you've moved beyond success. Listen to me. Success is what happens to you. Significance is what happens through you. 50 plus, you're thinking, you're thinking, you're thinking, this ain't about me just making money. This is about using my success to make a difference. Listen, the, the significant season is about convergence. And when I say convergence, that word means everything is coming together. What happened in the starting season, what happened in the searching season, and what happened in the success season are all coming together at this point of convergence where your life now 
has meaning beyond just yourself. And you start thinking in terms of what will my legacy be? You start thinking in terms of what will my influence be? How will I be remembered? What will I be remembered for? Again, Zig Ziglar. He said, most people spend their lives climbing the ladder of success only to find that the ladder was leaning against the wrong building. When you reach your significant season, you realize that every opportunity, every accomplishment was for something greater than just myself. You start thinking about your legacy and the ones you will leave behind. In all of these seasons, there is a period that we must wrestle with and grapple with. Eesh. And that is the waiting season. Hey! When it seems like your life is on hold. Have you ever called somebody? And it said, hold on one second, let me take this call. And they never reconnected. Sometimes in life, that's how it feels with God. Like he's put your life on hold in death. I came here this morning to talk to everybody in this room, but there are some of us, very specifically, who find ourselves in a waiting season, in a holding pattern. Where you're like bad weather at DFW, you can't land, just keep hovering around this airport. But God has a word of encouragement for you this morning. Because God is a God of seasons. And he's a God of cycles. And I think he has a prescription for those of us who find ourselves in the waiting season. I like to call it the ellipsis of God. For all of you grammarians, right? You know sometimes you're typing and you put the three dots, dot, dot, dot. Those three dots are called an ellipsis. And ellipsis communicates an unfinished thought. And sometimes in our lives it can feel that way. That God was working things out for you and before he could finish it, he put three dots Like, hold up now. When are we going to get back to the rest of this sentence? When are God, when are you going to finish the thought concerning me? And some of us, Chuck, find ourselves somewhere in those three dots. And I think the Lord sent me this morning, come on, somebody, to help us with what to do. When you find yourself huh, in an ellipsis, listen. For those of you who maybe you're in the starting season right now, 0 to 20, there was a time, believe it or not, when you called somebody, and if they were already on the phone, you got something that was called a busy signal. And it went beep, 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 and you knew that person was on the phone. Or oh, they didn't want to be bothered and took the phone off the hook. Come on, rotary phone. Y'all remember that? But then in the early 90s, man, I think it was AT&T who developed a technology called call waiting. Come on, somebody. I'm dating myself a little bit. Nia, there was a time <laughs> when you could only take one call at a time. But then there was this thing that was created called call waiting. And call waiting meant that you could switch calls and put one caller on hold. Sometimes life feels that way. Like you were having a conversation with God. And the conversation got interrupted. Now the problem with the conversation being interrupted is. The conversation was interrupted just before. You got your instructions. Just before the marching orders, 
The call ended and all you got was dot, 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 to be continued. I know I'm talking to somebody in this room right now. So the Lord said, what do you do? I turn with me to John chapter 5. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Come on, where my... Bum, bum, bum. Hey. Bum, bum, bum. Where all my Chicago house music? Yep, Chicago, yep. That's house. D.C. is go-go. Come on. Come on, somebody. All right, here we go. Y'all ready? John chapter number 5. I'm going to go fast and furious. I'm going to go fast and furious. John chapter number 5. What are we talking about in this? We're talking about miracles, right? We're talking about the miracle of creation and the pattern that God gives us in creation. But today I felt like I just needed to examine quickly one miracle. Because if we're going to talk about miracles, we might as well examine some miracles. And what God wants us to, to, to embrace this morning is that he doesn't only want to do miracles for us. He wants to do the miracle through us. Mark chapter 16 says that God worked with them, confirming the word that they preached with signs and wonders following. Listen, God wants for your life. He wants for your life, Brennan, Kirsten. He wants for your life to be a testimony of his word. That when people encounter you, they experience a God of miracles. A God who can turn seemingly impossible situations around. Are y'all with me? By definition, a miracle is a suspension of natural law for the fulfillment of a divine purpose. It is the suspension of natural law for the fulfillment of a divine purpose. So when God parts the Red Sea, that is a suspension of natural law. For what reason? For the fulfillment of the purpose of God. Hmm? When, 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 when Peter says to Jesus in the boat, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus responds, to Peter and says, come. Listen, Peter gets out that boat and he walks on water. That is the suspension of natural law in order to fulfill the purpose of God. The problem with most of us is that we get so fixated. Hmm? We get so fixated on the mistake that we miss the miracle. Most preachers preach that text and say, oh, he took his eyes off Jesus and put it on the storm. And he started to sink. In life, never take your eyes off Jesus because if you take off your eyes off Jesus and put it on the storm, you're going to sink. Pump the brakes, preacher. How about the fact that Peter is the only human being other than Jesus who has that testimony that he walked on water? And that's where most of us miss it. We become so fixated on the mistake and we miss the miracle. The suspension of natural law in order for God's purpose to be fulfilled. And God wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants to suspend some things. He wants to undo and reverse some things that in the natural seem impossible. But he will do it in order to fulfill his purpose in your life and through your life. He will move mountains to do it. He will move mountains to do it because it is his purpose in your life and through your life. He will suspend natural law. In order for the sign and the wonder and the miracle to be confirmed through your life. Mark chapter 16. Say this with me. I am a miracle. Yeah. You are the miracle. You are the miracle, not just what God does for you, but God wants to do it through you. And in order for God to do it through you, you have to recognize the season that you're in. Where are we at? We're in John chapter 5. <sighs> and it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews 
beginning at verse 1, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Verse number 3, and in these porches lay a great multitude of sick people. Y'all see that? A great multitude of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed. Here's the word. What were they doing? Waiting. Hey, I'm talking about those of us who are in a waiting season. Their condition was hopeless. Ah, they couldn't help themselves. And here they are in the ellipsis of God. God, won't, why won't you do it now? Why won't you do it for me? And they were waiting for a specific moment. They were waiting for the moving of the water. Somebody say, appointed time. Yeah. Yeah. They were waiting for this appointed time. And the text goes on to explain what this appointed time was and what they were waiting on in verse number four. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, come on somebody. Ah, whoever stepped in first. Ah, whoever stepped in first. Whoever beat you to the miracle. Whoever got there before you did meant that you had to wait a little bit longer. I'm talking to somebody this morning who has sat and witnessed everybody else get their miracle. I'm talking to the people who have sat and watched everybody else get their breakthrough. And the problem is somebody just gets there before you can. And if they do, you got to wait till the next time this angel stirs the waters. Mm. Verse number four. Here is the specific instruction to you. If you find yourself in the waiting season at the pool of Bethesda, be careful that you don't miss your moment resenting those who got ahead while you were waiting. I'll say it again. In your waiting season, make sure you don't miss your moment resenting those who got ahead while you were waiting. Listen to me. God is keen on our heart conditions. That's why. Two million Israelites walked around the desert, and listen to this, don't confuse movement with progress. Because it's possible to be moving and just going in circles. And God said, listen, I've brought you out of Egypt, now I'm going to spend the next 40 years getting Egypt out of you. Because I can't take you into the promised land with Egypt in your heart. And in your waiting season, in your waiting season, if you allow resentment to build up, listen, in your heart, because of others getting ahead of you, God's response is going to be one more lap. Listen, you and I need to make the commitment that we're going to be one lap Christians. I'm going to take this lap one time because I'm going to get it the first time. And it took them 40 years to get Egypt out of them. Right here in the book, it tells us about what was happening at this pool. If somebody got in first, they got their miracle, and you had to wait until the next time the waters were stirred. What if you're Jairus? Jairus comes to Jesus. I'm talking about miracles. Jairus comes to Jesus. He says, Master, my daughter is sick. Will you come and heal her? Jesus said yes. So he's on his way to Jairus' house. I'm talking about miracles. He's on his way to Jairus' house. And there is a multitude pressing against him. In the press, listen to me, 
in the press is a woman who had been ostracized for 12 years, had spent everything on her condition, but steadily grew worse. She was worse at year 12 than she was at year one. But this woman had a revelation, and she said, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Can I just say to you that your breakthrough comes at the moment of persuasive revelation, not at the moment of manifestation. Your miracle comes long before it manifests. Your miracle comes at the moment you are fully persuaded. And this woman being fully persuaded said, if I could just get to his hem, the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. There's so much I can say about that. So this woman is healed. Jesus feels virtue go out of him. And, she, and he says, who touched me? But here's the thing. This woman receives her miracle. Listen, when you read the scripture, God is, there's so many dots that are connected. Because Jesus finds himself in the middle of a miracle for a woman who has been six dead, I mean, uh, 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 overtaken with this infirmity 12 years. And Jairus' daughter is at home sick and she's 12 years old. This woman's infirmity started the same year that Jairus' daughter was born. And on the way to heal, a 12-year-old, a woman who has had this infirmity for 12 years is healed. But on the way, Jairus, is he Jairus hears this news. Your daughter's dead. Now, Jairus has an option. I mean, he has a moment to decide some things. And that's how most of us would be. We'll be mad at the woman with the issue of blood for interrupting Jesus while he was on the way to perform my miracle. Jesus, my daughter died when you had me on call waiting. You stopped to take care of this woman and my daughter died? Most of us have resentment toward Jesus and toward the woman who stopped him. Jesus turns to Jairus and says, listen, there's two responses in your waiting season. He says, do not be afraid. Only believe. I'm talking to somebody right now. Your life is on hold. And God says, do not be afraid. Only believe. Are you all with me? That's the first principle, verse 4. Guard your heart against resentment. Resentment against those who got their miracle before you did. Someone gets in first, Lord. And I'm stuck. So, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Y'all give me, listen, listen. I think what I got to say <laughs> is worth missing your lunch at Luby's. The Baptist going to get there before you, but it's going to be all right. I got to say this. This is more important. What you need to hear right now is more important than being the first one in line at Cheesecake Factory. Come on, somebody. That Jamaican black pepper shrimp. Anybody ever have that there? Jamaican black pepper shrimp, or you can have it with chicken. Listen, after you do that, because you're already in that Caribbean flow, you got to wash that thing down with some mango key lime cheesecake. It'll change your life. Come on, who taking pass at the Cheesecake Factory after church? I'm starting to salivate already. Let's get back to the message. Where was I? Anybody know? Guard your heart. Okay. So we're talking about miracles. We're talking about miracles. I, 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 I got to get this out. So, so, so stick with me. I was in verse 4 of John 5. Uh, it says, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Ah! Oh, I love this part of the story. Because, because John pulls out of this crowd, this man with no name. And he's only identified by his condition. And it says this guy's been there 38 years. Somebody say waiting season. Anybody in the room 38? Any 38 years old? 38 year olds. One. One 38 year old. Now imagine your entire life, Marcus, 
being in the same place, waiting for something to change. I'm, I'm talk, listen, I want you to appreciate where this guy is. Because most of us, if we don't get it in a day or two days, come on somebody, Amazon Prime. Microwave. On demand. And we've been conditioned to want it and demand it now. This guy been waiting, listen to me, in the same place for 38 years. Imagine 38 years, how many people got in the water before him. As I was reading this, baby, you know what came to mind? Uh, I'm going to take my time. If y'all got to go, by all means go. I'm going to take my time and get this out of me. I got to. As I was reading this story, first thing that came to mind, and I don't, my wife knows I'm a noticer. I'm an observer. I see everything that happens around me, and I notice people. Ah, I, see, I'm, I, I feel like I'm going to cry. But y'all bear with me. Y'all bear with me. Ah, because I think the Lord feels where some of us are. One of the things that over the years has grabbed my attention is whenever my family and I go out to eat and I notice somebody sitting at a table for one. And the truth is no restaurants are set up with a table for one. What it really is, is one person sitting at the table with an empty chair across from them. And sometimes when I've seen that, I wonder what the story is. Because thankfully, sometimes that person is just there early, and the person who's coming to join them comes a few minutes later. And I breathe a sigh of relief. But sometimes that chair is never filled. And I ask myself, what's that story? Was it someone who stood them up? Or was this just a table for one? I came this morning to inform you. <sighs> that if you've ever been in that place. And being at a table for one has become your normal. I want you to know that this morning, the father says to you that he still shows up at a table for one. This story is about a man who's sitting at a table for one. He's surrounded by people. But for 38 years, for 38 years, no one, and again, I get it, I get it, I get it. Maybe that's part of the problem with the season that you're in. You're surrounded with people who are so desperate for their miracle that they won't stop to help you. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem. Because when you're desperate for your breakthrough, the last thing you're thinking about is somebody else. And it's in those moments that only God, only God can do it for you. Only God. Because everybody you're surrounded by is broken and desperate and they need it just as bad as you do. And ain't nobody going to stop to help you. And it's in those moments that Jesus shows up at a table for one. And, 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 and you say, Pastor Ray, how do you know that? Let me tell you how I know that. The only person Jesus healed in the midst of a multitude of sick people was this one man. Read the story. Nobody else in that moment got healed. 
And Jesus was notorious for everywhere he went. They brought their sick and their lame and he healed them all. This story tells us about what Jesus does when your life has been on hold. He will show up. He will show up at that table for one. And heal every broken thing in every broken place in you. I got to finish this. I got to finish this. I got to finish this. Uh, I'm looking at my notes and there's no way I can finish all of this. Uh, here it is. I'll say I'm picking through my notes. Uh, let me encourage you. Waiting. Waiting doesn't mean the promise has been denied or revoked. It's a principle in fishing. You take your boat out there and you sit and wait until something happens. So while you wait, drop your anchor. Drop your anchor. Why? So that you don't drift with every wind of change or disappointment. <sighs> yeah, that's part of the problem. We're too afraid to drop our anchor. And we're tossed to and fro. Here's the third thing. What's the first thing? Don't be careful about resentment. Number two, it doesn't mean the promise is revoked just because you're waiting. Number three, let down your anchor. And number four, beware of Ishmael's. Uh, beware of Ishmael's. Y'all know Abraham was waiting on God. And it was taking too long. So Abraham took matters into his own hand and said, I'm going to make this thing happen. And so he has a son by his servant girl, Ishmael. His Hagar, and they have Ishmael. His wife's name, I mean, the servant girl is Hagar, and they have a son named Ishmael. Let me tell you what the Lord said. It's in my notes. Ishmael's are the things we create when we grow impatient with God's process. Yeah. It's the things we create. You say, why is that important? To this day, the conflict in the Middle East is between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. The Israelites, descendants of Isaac, and all of the Arab brothers that surround them, Ishmael. Ishmael. And we create Ishmael's when we grow impatient with God's process. Okay. So, Jesus shows up, and I'll just read the story, and then I'm out of your way. Verse 7, or verse 6, John 5 and verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition, same way for 38 years, stuck a long time. Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? I find that question curious. Because the truth is, some of us could be hanging around that pool, but we've been hanging around the pool so long, we don't care if we get healed or not. Because there are some of us who have just resigned ourselves, life is always going to be this way. So even when Jesus shows up, he said, Doc, do you want to be made well? Because there are many of us who normalize our dysfunction. And feed off our dysfunction. And feed off of the attention we get because of our dysfunction. Because now if, if this guy gets healed, bruh. You on your own now. Some things are going to be different. You have to be self-sufficient now. 
Nobody's going to give you alms. So you've been here 38 years. This is normal. It's why people get out of jail and commit a crime to go back in jail. Do you really want to be free? Or are you so institutionalized that even after you're free, Listen, some people don't want to be free. And so Jesus said, listen, you've been in this condition a long time. Do you really want to be free? Because with freedom comes responsibility. And so the man, the sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Somebody say dinner for one. Got nobody to help. I got nobody to put me in. Can you imagine sitting in the same place for 38 years and the only thing that's got you where you are is I've got no one to put me in. I'm talking to the people who are so close. You can taste it. I got nobody to put me in. And that's where Jesus shows up. In the midst of your isolation. Come on, somebody. Because your isolation is really God's insulation. Insulating you from everything that could take you away from your purpose. That's why you've been at the table for what? Until he could show up. And so, come on somebody, this is where I close. Y'all were waiting to hear that, don't you? For reals, this is where I close. And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool and when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, listen, while I am coming, it wasn't for a lack of effort, y'all. He says, while I am coming, another steps down before me. For 38 years, somebody getting there before you. So Jesus said to him, rise. Take up your bed and walk. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. If I go into those three instructions, we'll be here until next week. But that is where I'm going to close. The Lord is saying to some of us this morning, rise. Take up your bed and walk. Maybe that's where I'll start next week. Because God wants to move us out of this season that we've been in, your waiting season, into your next season. And the key is simply this. Your promotion will come when you learn how to properly manage where you are. Mm -hmm. hmm? Your promotion will come when you properly manage, learn to manage where you are. Last thing, last thing, promise. Don't miss the luxury of where you are now. Because you're fixated on where you want to be next. There's something right now that God wants to bring to, to maturity in you. But if you're so distracted about what's happening, what you want to happen next, you will miss what God is doing right now in the moment at the table for one. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask you to seal this word in our hearts. The team can come as we close. That you would seal this word in our hearts. And Lord, I pray for those this morning who feel a lot like this man in John chapter 5. Same condition. Same position. For an extended period of time. Lord, this morning, would you sit at our table for one? Would you deal with us individually, just one-on-one? -on -one? 
We may be married, we may have children, we may have be engaged, we may have other people in our lives, but today, just one-on-one, sit at the table. Lord, I thank you that you'll never, you will never, ever stand us up. Never. And Lord, today, I just speak this word back to your people. Rise. Take up your bed. And walk. Even when it seems like there's no one to put you in. And others have jumped in before you. Jesus says to you. I give you the power. To rise. To take up your bed. And walk again. Father would you do that in our lives. As only you can. In Jesus name. Amen. And amen. Amen. Did that help anybody this morning? (laughs) Glory to God. Listen, we have some resources for you uh, on your way out. If you need a Bible, we have a Bible for you. And then we also have a mini book called Fresh Start with God. If you want to jumpstart your walk with Jesus, you want to learn about important spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines, uh, Fresh Start with God is an easy read. It will help you in your walk with Jesus. Listen, we encourage you. On your way out, make sure you take a lot of pictures. Tag us at We Are Converge, at We Are Converge, and then also use the hashtag Jersey Sunday CC. Hashtag Jersey Sunday CC. Uh, our media team will get it, and we just want to let people know, see everything that happened here this morning. Rick, why don't you come and, uh, and dismiss? All right, us. Converge, give it up for our pastor. What a word! What a message! We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Remember to stay connected with us on our website, weareconverge.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WeAreConverge. You can also partner with us financially by giving safely and securely online at weareconverge.com backslash give. Thank you and God bless.